Hello and welcome to the Value Pricing Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Wickersham. I'm a chartered accountant, public speaker, and value pricing expert. In fact, I'm obsessed with value pricing and helping accounting professionals get better prices, being more valuable to their clients, make more money, and of course, have more fun. That's why I've spent over two decades teaching accountants and bookkeepers how to value price their services. These episodes are recordings from my live training sessions where I'll be teaching how to price your services, how to win more clients, and how to run a more profitable accounting firm. How do we build scope into the price so we never make a loss? Now, one of the things that's interesting about value pricing is the fact that we know that people want certainty. They want to know when, and we're the same, when we buy anything in life, we want to know exactly what the price is and what we're getting for our money. We all want certainty. And one of the great things about value pricing, one of the things that, and the reason why we should use it, is because value pricing gives people certainty uh, over the way that the price is arrived at. Now, usually, that means we give them a fixed price up front. I say usually because it doesn't necessarily mean we have to give a fixed price. Let me explain. What we have to do is give certainty over the way that we arrive at the price. And, and, and that price is related and linked to value. So there are other pricing models that are still value pricing, but may not mean a fixed price up front. An example of that might be in um, the, the housing industry in the UK, we call it uh, the estate agents. In the US, it's uh, real estate. Uh, when you sell your house, then uh, the estate agent in the UK, I guess it's the same in the US, the fee you pay when you're looking to sell your house is a percentage of the sale proceeds. That's a form of value pricing because both supplier and, uh, and customer uh, are both want the same thing. The how they want the house to sell for the highest possible amount because uh, the person selling the house gets uh, obviously more money uh, and likewise the fee goes up and so the, uh, the, the person helping sell the, the property also gets more profit, gets a bigger fee as well. So both parties win, okay? That's called percentage pricing. Percentage pricing is a form of value pricing. So the, the, the price isn't fixed up front, but the methodology is fixed and it's related to value. And that's why I often say, if you've been to a lot of my sessions, that a big myth in the profession is that uh, fixed pricing is value pricing. It's not. Fixed pricing is not value pricing. Just because you give a fixed price right up front doesn't mean that price is based on value. It might be based on costs or time, and very often it is the way I've seen people do it in the profession. So fixed pricing and value pricing are two different things. But nevertheless, value pricing does mean we give uh, some level of certainty over the price, the way the price will be, how it will be built up, and it's linked to value. And very often it is, it is fixed up front. Now, the reason why I think that we've used time as a basis of pricing historically is because what we sell is a complicated, complicated service, whether it's bookkeeping, annual financial statements, tax returns, and we want to make sure we never make a loss. The good thing about time-based billing, in theory, the good thing, which is a form of cost plus pricing, because we, which means we work out our costs, we add on a, mark, a, a margin, a, a markup for what our hope-for profit is, and that's our price. Uh, time-based billing is exactly that because hourly rates are a combination of uh, salary costs. We build in an element of fixed cost in there and we factor in a hope for profit. And typically a charge-out rate for many firms is between three and four times salary costs. It's a form of cost plus pricing. We're just taking, taking our costs, in this case 
chargeable time, adding in some fixed costs and marking it up for a hope-for profit. So time-based billing is a form of cost plus pricing. It's a lousy way to price, but the way that we do, the reason why we do it is because we have a complicated service, because by pricing based on how long something takes, we're pretty sure that we'll make money on the job. We'll make a profit, okay? And I think that's the reason we do it. It's kind of laziness. It's simple. But it's a lousy way to price because, A, it's not fair on the customer because customers want certainty. We have to give the customer, we have to give the client, they want to price up front so they can plan, they can budget. And straight away, time-based billing doesn't give them certainty. They don't know what the final price will be until the hours are added up. So it's a crazy way to price. It's an unfair way to price. Customers hate it. And that should be the only reason you need. That should be sufficient. But there's actually many, many other reasons, and, and one of which is from all the research and the anecdotes, firms that time-based bill make less money than those that work, move towards and master value pricing. So it's not fair on the customer. It's not fair on you either. It's not a great way to price. So we need to move to value pricing, and that means we have to figure out well, how to give a price up front given the fact that we're selling complex services like bookkeeping. And this is where scope comes in. How on earth do we give a fixed price right up front when we have no idea what the cost will be? Until we finish the work and added up the hours, we don't know what the cost will be. So how do we do that? Well, we do it by having a system. We just create a system, a process for asking questions, doing some analysis to come up with a number, a price, where we feel that we, we, where we're fairly confident we will make money on it. Now, as I'll explain later, this isn't, pro this isn't value pricing yet, okay? This is just a starting point. I'm going to share what I mean by that. It's not value pricing. It's just him simply uh, helping us as a starting point, as a level one, if you like, to give a fixed price. We have to come up with some questions uh, and some way of identifying, well, what, what should determine the price so that we always make a profit on the job. And what we need to do is we need to look at each, each thing that we do, each service we do separately. And what you'll find is that if you look at any, any service, whether it's uh, payroll, whether it's bookkeeping, tax returns, there are certain factors, certain things that determine how much work is going to be involved. And what we need to do is build up a system based on experience and expertise to work out, well, what, what sort of questions we need to ask what data do we need so we can come up with a so we can come up with a number that we're fairly confident will give us a profit most times, if not every single time. I'm going to give you four uh, four examples. I'm going to take you through four particular services, and I'm going to give you an idea of the sorts of things that you should ask or find out to understand the scope of the work. They're all straightforward services, so we'll start there. What I'm then going to do is look at how important is it to get it absolutely right, okay? And this is something that I know sometimes accountants and bookkeepers struggle with because we're very precise. We feel like it has to be absolutely right. And it doesn't for reasons that I'll, I'll explain. Then I know that what you're thinking, gonna be thinking is, okay, but not every service is easy to scope because of uncertainty. So we'll look at that and then we'll kind of pull the whole thing, the whole thing together with some final, final thoughts. So let's look at some examples first. Let's imagine that you are pricing, let's start off somewhere really simple. Let's imagine it's bookkeeping work. So with any particular service that you might offer, there are, there are certain things that impact on the amount of work that, that, that's going to be involved. 
usually there's one thing in particular that has uh, that has a huge impact. That's perhaps the primary driver, the thing that really drives uh, your costs. In the case of bookkeeping, it's probably the number of transactions, which is fairly obvious. So if if you've got two clients, um, Bill and Fred, they both have a business. Bill has a little business and he has 50 transactions a month. Fred has a larger business. He has 500 transactions a month. Then quite obviously, there's more work involved to deal with Fred's business with 500 transactions every month than Bill's with just 50. And so we should be charging a higher price. We don't need timesheets to tell us that. We just know that it will take more. And so we should be charging more. Now, of course, there's an element of value pricing here as well, because obviously it's more valuable to Fred with his 500 transactions a month to do his bookkeeping than it is for Bill, because Bill will, if he does it himself, will spend so much time doing his own bookkeeping and muddling through his 50 transactions. For Fred with 500, it's a nightmare doing his uh, bookkeeping. And so for you to take it off his, off his uh, hands is hugely valuable. So there's an element of value pricing here as well, but primarily we're looking at scope, we're looking at how do we identify what is the price. So with bookkeeping work, number of monthly transactions is probably the primary driver, and you would probably find that if you were to plot on a graph for your clients uh, across two axes, how much do you currently charge the client, or how many hours do you spend if you keep the timesheets, and on the other gra- on the other axis, if you plotted how many monthly transactions and you plotted all of your clients on a graph, you would probably feed, f- find a pretty strong correlation between those two things, and therefore you could give a fixed price by simply having a a simple formula based on plotting your existing clients, where you can then say, okay, well, if they have 500 uh, 500 transactions, it's this price. And that would give you a pretty good uh, estimation. Now, of course, it's not that simple because there are many, many other factors that might affect the price with bookkeeping work. So you might want to build in some other things. So it might also be the number of bank accounts because it may well be that Fred has 500 transactions all going through his one trading bank account but Bill with 50, for whatever strange reason, might have, uh, f- might have 10 different bank accounts, and therefore you've got more reconciliations to do. And so whilst it won't make a huge amount of difference, because 10 bank accounts average of 10 transactions a month through each, it doesn't create that much extra work, it does some. So, so we, have to, we might want to factor that in. We might also want to factor in what accounting system do they currently use. So it may well be that Fred with 500 transactions is using your preferred cloud accounting system, such as QBO, whereas Bill with just 50 transactions is using a manual set of books and records. And so it's actually taking you longer proportionately to deal with his 50 transactions than it is to deal with Fred's 500 because we might, that might impact on things. Another factor uh, might be, are they registered for sales tax? Because if, if Fred's registered for sales tax, VAT in the UK, and Bill isn't, then when you're processing transactions, you've got to also, with every single transaction, you've got to record the net, the VAT or the sales tax, and the gross. So you've then got some extra work there. So there's a number of different factors, areas of scope, questions you need to ask, data you need to collect to be able to give a price and be sure that you'll make a profit. The primary driver, the number of monthly transactions, will probably get you fairly close, but then you'll want other bits of data, other questions to ask just to 
deal with the, some of the anomalies and things that will just send that graph, uh, when, you, when you plot the graph, send it out. Let's move on to something else. Let's look at annual financial statements. So if you're a firm of accountants or a CPA, this is probably the main thing that you do. If you do end-of-year financial statements and you, you, you do the, the year-end uh, statutory accounts, you might do the business tax computation, you might do the business tax return, how might you price that well, I would suggest that perhaps the primary driver of scope, the thing that determines things in that case, is the annual revenue or annual sales of the business. In other words, if you have a client that is turning over uh, half a million, uh, half a million in, in sales, you'll have a certain amount of work to do. But you might have another client that has 10 million in sales, so 20 times the sales revenue. And quite obviously, a client that you're doing the end of year work for, for that's turning over 20 million, sorry, 10 million. Uh, you'd have a lot more work, very likely, than someone that's half a million. And again, if you were to plot a graph, go through your existing client base, and go through every single client and plot the price you currently charge them against the size of the business, you will find a pretty strong correlation, I would suggest. Uh, however, it won't be exact, and there will be other things that we need to think about. Probably the second driver, another thing that's really, well, two, two other things that are particularly important is the quality of the bookkeeping. It could be that the 10 million turnover client actually is using a cloud accounting system. Everything, they have an in-house bookkeeper who's, that's qualified, everything's perfect. The half a million little business might have a manual set of books and records, and therefore it's a bit of a nightmare. Uh, and nothing reconciled, you have, to, you have to reconcile everything first to get a trial balance to be able to then pull together statutory accounts. So, of course, quality of bookkeeping might impact on that, and then we have to work out, therefore, based on our experience and our judgment, to what extent should that uh, affect the price that we come up with. Another one might be trading entity. So if you have a client that's a corporate, an S-corp, if you're in the US, a limited company, there's a lot more work required than, for example, a sole a sole practitioner, sole trader, because we have various uh, statutory requirements for disclosing the accounts for a corporate. So we, we might want to use that. Uh, a th another one might be what industry are they in? There may be some additional requirements for particular industries. So, for example, in the UK, if you have a client that's a firm of lawyers, solicitors, they have something called solicitors accounts rules, some extra requirements, some extra things we need to do as part of the year-end accounts for a firm of lawyers, firm of solicitors. So they might be the, the main drivers in that particular case. Uh, let's look at uh, let's look at two more very quickly. Uh, payroll. If you do payroll, then very obviously the primary driver of scope would be how many employees. Uh, you would find a very strong correlation between the size of the payroll, the number of employees, and the price that you should charge. Uh, probably the second driver after that, though, is frequency of pay, because clearly a week paying weekly salaries is roughly probably four times the amount of work as a monthly salary based business. You might have some other scope things to identify, like do they do payroll deductions? Do they pay bonuses? Because that might impact on the amount of work when you're processing the payroll. And finally, if you do personal tax returns, then it might be, for example, the number of different sources of income might be the primary driver. But it might also be have they disposed of assets? Do they have rental income? Do they have... a tax deductions. Uh, and if you complete tax returns, certainly in the UK, I think it's the same in Australia and the same in, in the US, then there are different pages or sections to complete depending upon the different sources of income and, and deductions and so on. So that's there's some examples for you of what would be the types of uh, questions and, and data that we need in order to arrive at scope. 
Well, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far, and of course, we're not done yet. But before we continue, if you're looking for more free training and help, here are three things you can do. First, connect with me on LinkedIn. Tell me you listen to my podcast, and I'll send you some links to some free resources. Next, be sure to visit my YouTube channel containing hundreds of training videos. Hit the subscribe button and the bell to get notified when I upload new content. And join my Facebook group, Value Pricing with Mark Wickersham, and be part of a community of accounting professionals getting better at pricing. Okay, let's continue. So the, the question then that I want to address is, is how precise how accurate do we need to be? And as I suggested earlier, one of the things that I think is we, we are very precise as a profession. We, we like the numbers to be just right. And we're not trying to aim for that. We're trying to find something that gives a good approximation. One of the things that you, you might be thinking what we really want to be aiming for in an ideal world is we want to make sure that every single client we price, we give a fixed price to, we want to make sure that we always make the same level of, of profit, if you like, the same margin uh, every single time. And that's not what we should be aiming for because we value pricing anyway. And, and so when we value price, some people will value what you do more than others. And so quite if they value it more, you're going to make more money with clients that appreciate what you, what you do uh, and value what you do. Because as we get to understand value pricing and go beyond scope, we can start to then build in other things, which those people that value those things will pay a higher price, but those extra things might not, for example, have any impact on our cost structure. For example, you might say to the client, okay, so here's, uh, before we give you a price for doing your bookkeeping, uh, I'd just like to ask you, who would you like as your primary source of contact at our firm? Would you like it to be me, the senior partner, or, or Mary, my assistant? And you let them choose, and it doesn't affect your cost base particularly, but if they choose you, it suggests they value you, and you should charge a higher price. That's value pricing. So a goal isn't to try and make sure every single profit, every single client is equally profitable. That, that's crazy. I know that's what hourly rates does, because if everybody's charged the same hourly rate and assuming that we bill every single hour, then, then everybody's being charged. Everyone is the same level of, of profitability, if that makes sense, in terms of the, 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 the profit over and above the, the time spent or the costs. But that's not our goal here. We're not trying to do that. We want to make sure that our questions are sufficiently good good to identify scope, uh, that we have a, a system sufficiently good to approximate a price to make sure that more often than not, and ideally all the time, but as many times as we actually make a profit on the job. And just to give you a different industry, I mean, there are many, many other different industries who give fixed prices who have just the same problems as we have. Take the trades, for example. Let's imagine your roof needs repairing. You've got some tiles missing, there's storm damage, you need a firm of, uh, a firm of roofers to come in and fix your roof. Now, they will give you a price up front. They'll come and they'll do an estimate and they'll give you a price. They do not know exactly how long it will take to, to, to do the work, to fix your roof. They have no idea. No, we're not mind readers. All sorts of things can go wrong on a job, not just in the accounting world, but many, many other types of business. But nevertheless, they will have a system in, in, in mind, a system in place. The system might consist of, they look at the size of your roof to see how big it is. They might look at the extent of the damage. They might look at the types of tiles that you use or the type of roofing material and based on a combination of these things based on their experience 
in this area, they will then give you a fixed price based on the scope, based on the types of tiles, based on the extent of the damage, based on uh, the, the size of the roof, for example. And, and all we're doing is the same sort of thing. We're trying to figure out a process so that we can give uh, a fixed price right up front. Now, one of the areas that gives people a huge amount of problems with this whole area, though, of, of giving a price up front is when we have uncertainty. With some of the things uh, which I've just gone through, with I mean, payroll, for example, payroll is one of the easiest ones to start with. And actually, payroll bureaus generally do, do price based on scope. They might have a price per, uh, per payslip, per employee. Uh, so with some things like payroll, uh, it's relatively certain and, and it's quite easy to price. And so that's a great one, easy one to start with. Personal tax returns, probably fairly simple as well. But we then get harder things like, I know bookkeepers struggle with cleanup work. How do we give a price for cleanup work right up front when and we have no idea how much work's involved until we actually get into it and start doing the work? Well, same principles, really. We just have to figure out from our experience from the past what are the sorts of things that impact on the amount of work with cleanup work. And, and in, in that particular case, it's very similar to bookkeeping. It might well be how many transactions per month. It might well be how many bank accounts need reconciling. It might be uh, what accounting system are they on. It might be are they registered for sales tax or VAT. It may be, to some extent, similar questions to bookkeeping. But, of course, there will be some others as well, one of which clearly is, well, how many months behind are you? Because a client that's uh, not done their bookkeeping for a month, it's a bit easier than a client that's not touched it for 18 months. So that would be a big factor as well. So even when there's a huge amount of uncertainty like cleanup work, there's still questions that we can ask. There's still data that we can establish that will enable us to give some form of uh, estimate to the client of how much work's involved. Now, sometimes, though, sometimes there's still so much uncertainty. And so let's imagine there is uncertainty. We really don't know. It might be, for example, that we're doing cleanup work and we've asked the client some questions. We want to know how they reconcile their bank account. And they just generally don't know. Uh, they, they have no idea how many bank transactions or how many transactions they have a month. They might have no idea whatsoever. And therefore, what you might feel is that you need to actually start the work to get a feel for it. Now, in that particular case, where you need to start doing some work to get an un a better understanding before you can then give a, a price for the project, one of the things you can do is to break the project into milestones. And that's a great strategy when you've got uncertainty. You break it down to milestones and you give a price for step one, which could be a diagnostic review, for example. And I, and I know firms that do this now with bookkeeping work, sorry, with cleanup work and do it very successfully. They get paid they get paid for doing an initial diagnostic review. And at the end of that, they're in a better place to then give a, a fixed price for then doing the next stage, which is then the re which is very often the rest of the work. But even then, it could be broken down to even more milestones. And on this point of uncertainty, one final thing that's really important is when there's uncertainty, the greater the level of uncertainty, the greater the level of risk. The risk being in this particular case is that it might take you longer. It's harder for you to figure out how long it will take. So there's a greater risk that you end up making a loss on the job because it ends up being more work than you expect. The greater the uncertainty, the greater the risk, then the higher the price the customer will pay. Because if we do things the old-fashioned way, which is time-based billing, all of the risk sits with the client. They, when they agree to an hourly rate, they have all of the risk that you 
have a few bad days and you work a bit slower, that you make some mistakes, that you decide for this particular client, you've got a new trainee and you're going to train them up. And so they're recording time to the job. And then the manager is also training the trainer and putting time to the job. And so the client has all the risk that the job takes longer and more time goes on the timesheet. It's not fair to the client, but that's where the risk lies. When we take that risk away by giving a fixed price up front, we're taking that risk away. And one of the things you absolutely must do, please make sure that you do this. When you move to fixed pricing, or even better still, full value pricing, you should always be charging higher prices than you were before because you are now taking the risk. Okay, because there is still always going to be a risk that every now and then you make a, however good your scope uh, your scoping out process is, you will always find something will come along that you didn't think about, something you you didn't that, that becomes a problem on the job. That will always happen every now and then. The main thing is that we have a system that gives us a good a good process that nine times out of ten we make a big super profit. Sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we get the scope wrong uh, because we forgot to ask a particular question. We didn't think about one particular issue. And that becomes just a learning experience. We make sure that when that happens, we then change the process. So I want to share with you kind of some final thoughts uh, around this. Uh, One is, I said to you earlier, that this whole idea of coming up with a scope isn't actually value pricing. (laughs) It's not value pricing because all we're doing at this stage is we're identifying how much work do we think is involved so that we can give a fixed price up front which is fairer on the customer, it gives them certainty, gives them a fixed price up front. But that is fixed pricing. It's not value pricing if we're, giving a, if we're simply stopping there, if we're simply working out what are the questions, what are the scope questions we should ask to be able to give a price where we think we'll make money on the job. That's fixed pricing. It's fairer than time-based billing because the customer gets a fixed price up front. It's not value pricing. It becomes value pricing when we move to another level, which, we talk, which we'll talk about in, in, in other months. When, for example, you might come up with your price and you're realizing, okay, to cover my costs, it should be $1,000 for this project. But what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to think of some other options for the client, give them some choices, and actually give them a choice of a, a $1,000 package, a $1,500 package, a $2,000 package. And we can start to build in stuff that creates more value. Not necessarily things that have much more time, but things that create more value. And what you'll find is that very often when clients see the value in the other stuff, they will then choose the other things. So if they choose the most expensive option at 2000 and 1000 would have covered your costs, we're now into value pricing. So I hope that makes sense. What I've talked about today, coming up with a scope, enables us to give, a, we're looking to give a fixed price. But this is not yet value pricing. We have to do other things as well. This is just simply a starting point. When you, when you move into value pricing, obviously very often there's going to be a fixed price element of it. We want to make sure first and foremost that that fixed price is going to give us a suitable level of profit on the job and that we don't make a loss. Once we've established a starting point, then we do some of the other techniques that I I teach you in other sessions. We use uh, menu pricing. We give three options. We might use preference questions. We might give them choices, like I said earlier, uh, before I give you a price. What would you prefer? Would you like me to be your main point of contact? I oversee this job. Or would you like to deal with Mary? That's a great, what I call a preference question, because those people that value you will choose you. You just may need to make sure that you also build that into your price. There's a higher price, a much higher price, to reflect the fact that some people value 
working with you. And there are many more questions that we could ask along those lines. For example, we could ask the client, okay, uh, you want this cleanup work before I give you the price. How fast do you want it? If you want our speedy guaranteed turnaround two-week service, this is the price. And if they say yes, they're happy with that, uh, you're happy, they're happy. If that's, uh, if that's too expensive, we give them a different price for the, for the slow service. But the client chooses based on value. But before that, we have to make sure that our base price covers our costs. That's based on scope. I want to leave you with this final thought with this whole area, and that is, I said to you that we're not trying to get something precise. We're not, because that's impossible. We have, we're not mind readers. We can't, we can never know what might happen when we do a piece of work, when we do a project. We don't know what the pitfalls might be, what things might go wrong. We never, ever going to know that. But nevertheless, under value pricing and out of fairness, we've got to give the client a fixed price up front. It's crazy to, to hide behind timesheets and say to the client, sorry, we can't give you a price. You'll have to wait until we finish. It's not fair on the customer. They hate it. We have to find, so we have to find some sort of process. Whatever process we have, whatever process is never going to be 100% pre precise. It's never going to be perfect every single time. Sometimes we will, as I said, sometimes we will make a loss on a job because we get something wrong. We do some cleanup work. It becomes a bigger problem than we thought. But what we do is we then at the end of it say, well, why? What did we not, what did we not ask or what did we not look for at the outset? And then we just, through learning and improvement, we then just tweak our system. But at the end of the day, remember this, and this is the final point I want to leave you with. Remember, what we've used as a, as a profession for decades, time-based billing, is no better either. It's no better. And the reason for that is it's very rare, if ever, I've ever met any accountant or bookkeeper who bills the client for every single hour they spend. So I know in the UK, for example, I've done over the years many, many benchmarking studies of, of UK accounting firms, and very often I've, I've, I've looked at the, the benchmarks, the numbers around, uh, around the, what's been recorded on timesheets. So one of, the, one of the numbers that any time recording software would record is what's called uh, the, the recovery rates. In other words, if you have a client that, uh, that you rack up hours uh, that total £2,000 or $2,000, but you then, because of a complete mess, you end up thinking, you know what, we can only bill 1000 on this. Then you've written off half of it, you've written off 1000 the recovery rate's 50%. And from all the benchmarking studies I've done in the UK, the uh, average write-off for UK accounting firms is, or the average recovery is 92%. In other words, 8% is written off. And so, even though we have this arguably precise system, we still make losses because we write time off, because either because we, we, we've made mistakes on the job and we, we don't feel comfortable with charging the client because we know we're surprising them, we know that they'll react badly, so we write time off. And of course, I said the word arguably, because actually, are time records really correct? I'll kind of leave you with that. You can probably answer that for yourself. But I know when I was a trainee many, many years ago in the late 80s, early 90s, 
I know that timesheets were largely made up, okay? They weren't accurate anyway. So this whole thing about billing based on the hour because we think we've got something precise and accurate is a complete myth anyway, so why do it? We need a better system, a system that's fairer on the customer, and so we have to give them some certainty, we have to give them a fixed price, that means we need some systems, some processors uh, for collecting the data, the scope, and then figuring out how the answers to those questions will give us a fixed price. Well, that's all for today's episode. If you want to learn more about value pricing, you can join my Facebook group, Value Pricing with Mark Wickersham. It's a community of thousands of accounting professionals. If you want to take things to another level, you can enroll in the Value Pricing Academy or one of my other academies. Find out more when you head to www.wickersham.co.uk. Members of the Value Pricing Academy learn how to price better, how to master business advisory, and how to build more successful and enjoyable accounting firms. I'll be back soon with another episode of the Value Pricing Podcast. See you soon.